to get down to business. Um, gambling. Gambling. <laughs> Much better topic. <laughs> All right. Last time we had just, I believe, finished up talking. We were going through the, some of the things that Scripture says around issues that are often involved in gambling. Remember, Scripture actually doesn't say much directly about gambling, yay or nay. It describes instances about it, but it says so very neutrally. When it talks about people gambling, it doesn't usually say anything that would seem to indicate that this is an okay or a not okay behavior. So what we were talking about is um, what the Scripture says about a lot of attitudes and um, behaviors that are one is often tempted into when you're gambling and uh, seeing how the scriptures related to those you might say things that are in the orbit of uh, gambling and we talked about how of course there's things like greed coveting idolatry and a lack of confidence in God's providence all very real temptations all very bad things very straightforwardly from the scripture. So to the extent that um, somebody is uh, swept up into those attitudes and behaviors through gambling, gambling is an evil. Uh, we, were, we left open the question last time about asking, but do those things necessarily accompany gambling? Or is every instance of gambling necessarily lead you into those evils and therefore gambling is either evil or at the very least always 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 a gateway to evil which should that for that reason always be avoided hi sir we hadn't quite finished working through all of those issues though so we'll uh, finish up working with those issues so we'll start there um after talking about providence another one is those issues that deal directly with our relationship between us and god there's also some issues about our relationship with other people after all, sins aren't just against our faith in God, but they're always also against that. Um, but one thing that scriptures very clearly call us to be is stewards of the things we possess, right? We, in a very real sense, don't own anything. Nothing is yours in the straightforward sense that you are free to do whatever you want with it. And because it's yours, no one, not even God, could hold you accountable for good or bad behavior with it. Uh, in fact, we're called to manage everything, right? And basically speaking, what are we supposed to use virtually everything God entrusts to us to do? What should we use everything for? The glory of God. Okay, well, straightforwardly, for the glory of God. But then the question comes, well, how do you do that? <laughs> what does that even mean to say, I'm going to use it to the glory of God? Does that mean you donate everything you have to the church? Well probably actually be a very bad idea. Enhance whatever it takes to enhance his kingdom. Okay, so obviously, first of all, there's bringing, using your, your material um, gifts to help expand the kingdom. So supporting mission work, ministry, and so forth. Um, in the Old Testament, were they required to give 100% of their income for that? What was the percentage the Old Testament required? Tithe. A tithe. 10%, which meant how much was left in their care for other things? 90%, simple math here. Um, what were they supposed to do with that other 90% of the stuff? And by the way, I'm not saying the tithe is 
something we're obligated to do. It's just to get to the point, not all of it was supposed to go to directly promoting the word, although a portion always was. What do you do with the other 90%? Gamble. You gamble it, exactly. <laughs> so you can get more to donate to church. <laughs> Every time I walk by a gas station, I buy a ticket just in case I can give more to offering. That's not true. I don't do that. Um, so what do you do with your stuff? Not looking for profound, really subtle answers. Provide to take care of yourself. Right. Okay. One, provide for yourself. It is kind of important that you eat if you're going to continue to do the things God gives you to do, right? It's important that you have clothes on your back. There's nothing wrong with taking care of yourself within reason. In fact, you're required to do it. Who else? We'll just put it that way. Who else should we be taking care of with our stuff? Your family. Okay, you got family. God made some of you parents, made all of you kids at one point in your life who had parents, uh, so on and so forth. You're supposed to also take care of them, right? The whole reason God gives us stuff, therefore, is to take care of ourselves, certainly. Certainly to take care of for seeing that other people hear the word of God and learn it. And also take care of all the people God has charged us to take care of. Your vocations in this life. If you're a parent, take care of your kids. If you're a teacher, take care of your students. Um, all these other ways we're supposed to use our time, our talents, our treasure, if we want to put it that way, to seeing to the welfare of the people God has given us responsibility to care for. Over and over again, Scripture talks that way. In fact, turn to 1 Timothy 5.8. We'll just, uh, and somebody else want to look at Mark chapter 7, 9 through 13, and then uh, 1 John 3, 16 through 18. Not John 3, 16, you already know that. <laughs> 1 John 3, 16 and 18. All right, if somebody has the uh, First Timothy, you want to read it for us? If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith, and it's worse than an unbeliever. Doesn't really need a lot of explanation, that one. Very straightforward. If anyone has stuff and doesn't provide for the, their family members, family is something God gives us to take care of, then that person has practically denied their faith in Christ. If you believe in Christ, you'll take care of the people Christ himself has obligated you to take care of. Straightforward. Use your stuff to care for those people. Mark 7, 9 through 13. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the command of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. Hello, Moto. Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corbin. <laughs> That is a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do not do many things like that. Alright, so this was actually, fortunately, a, a gospel reading we had not too long ago. But uh, the basic gist, well, Jesus is saying is, you, you Pharisees have this great way of denying the word of God in order for your traditions. He said, you say that if a person decides to donate everything to the church, 
talking about what you're talking about. Then they're uh, somehow exempted from having to provide for their family, for their parents. And Jesus said, but what does the commandment of God actually say? Honor your father and mother. If you say, I don't have to do that because I'm devoting it to God, you're doing exactly the opposite of what God has actually told you to do. Um, and therefore, you're, over, under, you're using your stuff that God has entrusted with you with to take care of these people to do something you think is holier. Uh, point being there that we're trying to hit at, there's a lot of points we could make, but the point we're trying to drive at here is very clearly, Scripture enjoins you to take, use the stuff you have to take care of the people he has called you to take care of. Yes, everyone, but you can't take care of everyone. Specifically, though, first and foremost, the people he has directly entrusted you with. Um, and then in broader circles, you might say, we could draw it out like this. There's your... Sphere of responsibility, you have your family, your uh, community, and then the world. Your first obligation to use your stuff for is the people you are related to, so forth. Then the people in the next circle, the community, the broader area that you could, in theory, help with the stuff left over from taking care of your family, and then that point, everybody else that you meet who needs it. Straightforward, right? Not complicated teaching here. Let's do the last one just for to cement the point. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. All right, there once again. Don't just love God in your, some kind of weird sentimental way. Your love actually ought to be able to get out in the world and do things. If it's not out in the world doing things, it's not really love. It's just a feeling that you think you have. Um, so love, not just in words. Don't just say, I love you. Don't just say, I love God. Actually live it out by taking care of people around you. So... That's how you should think of your stuff. That's how the Bible tells us to think about our stuff, as God's stuff that he gives to us to help provide for ourselves and for other people. Straightforward again. All right. Now, of course, um, one of the things that can happen with gambling of all kinds of forms is that it can encourage exactly the opposite of all of that. It can promote um, an undue selfishness on the one hand, we probably are all familiar with stories, even if we don't know people directly, who started to lose big on the gambling tables. And so what do they do? They start digging into their savings to pay for it. We'll take out mortgages on our house to pay for more gambling, hoping we'll strike it big and erase the debts. What is such a person doing to their family? Assuming they have one. Taking away from them. Right. It's hard to provide your family with a place to live if you just wagered your house at the betting table. Um, it's hard to feed your kids if you've just taken the grocery money and poured it into lotto tickets. That is a tremendously poor stewardship. To take resources that you could have used to take care of other people or yourself for that matter and just basically throw it away in the hope of making more money like that. And so in a broader way, not only does it... Uh, take away from our ability, it can, I should say, tempt us and actually lead us to not use our resources to take care of other people, but to direct them into wasted things that don't help anybody. 
They can also destroy the, com the broader common good by taking our resources out of more profitable enterprises, you might say. It's one thing to go and buy, uh, I don't know, let's just talk about uh, a burger from McDonald's. You're supporting a huge industry, even though it's not a straightforwardly morally good industry. You're not only supporting the cashier, the cooks, um, the company itself. You're supporting the farmers who raise the meat. You're supporting the, all of that. When you go to a gambling establishment, a casino, no doubt you're supporting the workers there. But what else? <laughs> Nothing. Like we said, gambling is one of those very unique industries, which at its heart is simply the premise of taking money for money. <laughs> it doesn't have something like health at the center of it, like healthcare industry. It doesn't have something like growing crops at the center of it, like farming industry, or almost all of these other industries. There is nothing beneath um, the gambling industry beyond the sheer fact of taking money from people and switching hands with it. So that is to say, it doesn't even indirectly help the broader good as much as most other industries, and so it's less justified to spend on it in the same way as you could with other industries. Does that make sense? All right, any thoughts about any of that? Again, this is just to say some forms of gambling in some instances, maybe even most, lead to that. It's still an open question. Can you envision a form of gambling that isn't such an obvious instance of poor stewardship, where you're simply wasting money that you could have and should have been using other directions. And by the same token, something we've been doing too throughout this is, let's not give a, an undue negative view of gambling as somehow worse than any other ways we could use our money. After all, um, why do people use their money in gambling? Sometimes they're hoping to get more money. Sometimes they're just trying to enjoy themselves, right? They just, hey, it's fun to make the bet, win or lose. Eh, that's not my important thing. I'm just enjoying myself. Is that a great use of resources? We could certainly argue no. How many of you have a Netflix subscription? <laughs> Is that an amazing use of resources? Is it meant to do much more than make you feel good for a little while? Well, probably not. Is that inherently evil? Point being, don't just uh, look at it with an overtly, uh, or a, I should say, an undue negativity if you're not also willing to apply it to a lot of other aspects of our life that we think of as harmless, even though in a lot of regards, there's not a lot of logical difference between the two. It just so happens we enjoy those things. <laughs> And so it's easier to look at the people who gamble as doing something worse than me, even though somebody could probably make almost the same arguments to me against what I'm doing. Make sense? Not saying Netflix is evil, by the way. <laughs> Just saying it can be, because it does lead to a lot of temptations. By the same token, number five, for some reason this was my mom's favorite one to bring out. Um, there were so many others that almost everybody else used, but for some reason, this is the one she always liked to hit on. We're called to useful labor. We're, what we're called to do with our time, not just our money, but with our time, is uh, do things that are going to help actually materially help the world in some way. And sometimes gambling can lead people away from their jobs, their gainful employment, into this uh, not just money pit, but time pit. 
It's amazing. Have you ever been into a casino, by the way, like one of the big casinos? You ever, if you haven't, there's always the people who are at the slot machines, right? There's just a crowd who looks like they've been there for the past 36 hours, and they might very well have been. <laughs> and they're not, they're just... These days, I guess it's more boom, boom, boom. But over and over and over again, they just spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours there. Um, it's like their place they go to spend their entire day. Is that a good thing? It's probably never a good thing to spend your whole day doing anything that doesn't somehow contribute to the life and well-being of either yourself or some other people. And so gambling, again, like many other ways we could spend our entire day doing things, but certainly gambling runs the temptation of, especially those who get addicted to it, leading them away from better uses of their time that actually would glorify God into things that probably do absolutely nothing except line the pockets of a few people. Any questions about that? And by the way, I'm just running through a bunch of temptations that are here that, uh, like I said, we're in that CTCR document, but it's also something I certainly welcome you to throw in your two cents at. Now, one thing that strangely wasn't in the document, uh, we've been talking about the perspective of people who engage in gambling. Right? And how that certainly runs a lot of temptations with it um, in certain forms under certain circumstances. But almost nothing was said about those who actually provide gambling. And it's very worthwhile to talk about those who provide gambling opportunities. Because um, if you're assuming, let's just assume the uh, argument from the very beginning that was made that gambling is um, an evil thing to partake of it would, by definition, also be an evil thing to provide, right? Now, we're taking a little more nuanced approach than just that strong evil evil, but it is worth saying that uh, Scripture does have a lot of things to say about temptations that no doubt uniquely plague, or at least strongly plague, people who would be willing to uh, provide gambling opportunities. For instance... Um, let's read, turn to Proverbs 14, verse 31. Fourteen verse 31. And then somebody else want to go to Proverbs 22, verses 22 and 23. And then finally, Amos chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Somebody have the first Proverbs reading for us there. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. All right. This is a theme that comes up over and over again in Scripture, and the next two readings will uh, cement that um, fact. But what does God think about people who take advantage of other people? Is that an okay thing to do? Hey, you were stupid enough to do it. Now I'm going to get rich off of your stupidity. Is God okay with that kind of behavior? Not in the least. God has no patience for people who will enrich themselves at the expense of other people. That is to say, um, by, who are willing to actually harm other people and their condition in order to get rich themselves. And this is especially true 
when it's done to those who are already poor and less able to take care of themselves and less able to take care of their families. Now, again, I don't mean simply, I want to clarify when I said the, at the expense of others, virtually every business transaction from time immemorial meant I get something because you get, I, I get a little better because you pay. In that sense, yes, it's true. We enrich ourselves at the expense of others. But what I, what I mean when I say that is to the harm and detriment of the other person, not just that they paid an expense. So, for instance, if I have a whole lot of, well, let's go to the beginning of the COVID pandemic, when there were all those people who uh, saw this coming a little ahead of the curve and went and bought tons and tons and tons of gallons of hand sanitizer, face masks, and so forth, and then what did they try to do? Right, price gouges, sell it at ridiculous prices because there was none left because they bought it all. <laughs> what were they trying to do? They weren't just trying to make an honest buck. It's not like they were saying, this is what it costs us to procure. Here's a reasonable markup for our efforts so that we can profit off of it and you can have what you need. Okay, that's fair enough. But they would go, here's things you can probably barely afford at something that is unreasonably high of price. I don't care how much harm it does to you to have to pay for this because you need it and I have it. And I don't care that I'm making like 300% off of this. In fact, that's my goal. And if you're, you're the sucker who has to pay it, that's your fault. That is something that is roundly condemned in Scripture. The idea that you would be willing to profit by um, preying on other people. Would that be the same, same way as the, would the stock market fall in the same category? <laughs> Well, and, the, you know, stock, yeah, stock markets are their own little beast that I guess would be worth talking about on its own right. Um, it's a little different in the sense that uh, the stock markets are built on people. Who, I mean, the people who profit are the people who pour the tons of money into it. It's not, not quite the same as, like, I poured a little bit of money into getting these masks so that you have to pour a lot of money to me to get the masks from me. It's... I'm going to pour $100,000 into the stock market hoping that the business will become profitable so that I'll get my money back out of it and then some. It's, it's still a kind of gambling in a very real sense. And like I, I said... I was thinking of the people that go in when it's low and buy huge amounts. Oh, sure, sure. Because they either know or think it's going to go up. Right, right. And there's, there's definitely a lot of uh, correlations between stock trading and uh, gambling. Like we said, the, one of the differences as an industry model is at the very least, even if it's a very small percentage of what's at the heart of the stock market, there are on the ground businesses that have products and services they offer beyond simple money. So even if it's like 99% all about basically betting on the futures of these things, there's still that 1% where it's actually about the things holding the rest of it up. Whereas with gambling, it's 100% about playing odds and so forth. Not to say that's a huge difference, but it is to say it's an important difference to make. And I'm not defending the stock market here. I'm just trying to avoid saying too much about it because I'm not prepared to say too much about it. Make sense? But you could certainly see uh, people who try, there are certain practices we could compare in the stock market where you try to get, say, people to... Uh, buy into bat, what you know are bad ventures, for instance, or highly risky ventures, 
downplaying the costs and all kinds of, basically being predatory about it. Um, or, for that matter, not even overtly trying to be predatory about it, but simply trying to profit without any care about the people who are actually giving you the money to try to profit from. That's the same kind of thing we're talking about. Um, basically, I, the attitude at heart we're talking about here is, I want to get rich. I might not be trying to hurt you to do it, but I just don't care if I do. And as long as I profit off of it, who cares? This was a huge problem of the Industrial Revolution. Um, as uh, more, This is why we have labor unions. I'm not talking about labor unions now as a political entity. I, I'm not going to give any opinions about those one way or the other. It's just to say, I think we all know enough of our history to know, back when the in Industrial Revolution was going on, um, the really rich owners of factories had very little concern for the conditions of the people they were, that were working in them. They paid them virtually nothing. We're happy to make them work 18 hours a day if they could, even if they were small kids, in highly dangerous conditions because they just didn't care about them. They only cared about making more money. Horrible, horrible thing to do. Um, by the same token, we can talk about how there's always this temptation in the gambling industry, and it's true, by the way, across the board of industries. This is not unique to the gambling industry. This is a fair warning to everybody who provides any kind of a good or service for the sake of enriching themselves. It's not to say that business is by nature sinful. It's to say that with all business, and no doubt you, with gambling too, the providers of the business are so interested in the bottom line that what do they care if I get a whole bunch of poor people to come into gambling? Heck, I wish I could get more of them because <laughs> they, they tend to be more desperate. They tend to bet longer odds when they get in the pinch and I make even more money. The more ad you almost have this actual incentive to have people addicted to it because after all, if somebody's addicted to what you're offering, what does that mean for your bottom line? It's only going up. So one very healthy admonition for, that the scriptures have for those who provide things like gambling, and again, it's true of all industries, is that it is absolutely condemned by God, and God will hold them to account for being willing to and actively... Um, being callous to the fact that pursuing their business leads them to destroy and oppress other people and harm them. Make sense? Um, by the way, I, I skipped over the little practical advice that we want to say. If Again, we'll leave open the question, is it therefore always wrong to host an instance of gambling? We'll come to that question in just a minute. Um, but one thing I think that you could practically say about it, hosting gambling from Scripture uh, is you should never compel or otherwise unduly try to manipulate or influence people to partake of your business. If you're trying to force people to do it, you're probably on tenuous grounds. You should also be aware of the people who cannot afford to partake of your business. <laughs> And you should strongly discourage them and even prevent them from doing so. And for those who are, and you should also be willing um, to uh, show that you're willing to forgive debts that are obviously harmful to the person. You can't, if you're going to run a gambling show and uh, 
you have nothing in place to prevent a person from gambling his house and his livelihood away. Can you just look at that person and say, that's your fault. I didn't force you to do it. I mean, you could. But if you're actually going to be um, loving about this towards your neighbor, you should be willing to swallow probably hardly any loss for the sake of not having this person lose everything. So you're saying that probably breaking a guy's arm because he owes you a lot of money is not right? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Breaking, breaking people's arms, cutting off fingers because they owe you money is probably not <laughs> the best way to go. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting any business-wide policies here. It's just to say, if you're going to get into business of any kind, but certainly in gambling, and you want to actually do this in even a passably Christian way, assuming that it's even possible to do that, which we haven't argued for, we're just saying, let's just assume for the sake of the argument, you could be a Christian provider of gambling. You would almost certainly have to have very strong rules in place about who can and cannot gamble. And it would have to be people who could afford it, and you wouldn't let them do it if you knew they couldn't. And if it came to light that they couldn't, you would be willing to eat some loss for their sake. Otherwise... <laughs> so you think maybe a church raffle would be uh, not a good thing? Well, I'm just saying, if we ever do a church raffle, and you can't pony up, Bill. <laughs> Prepare to have the trustees pay you a visit. <laughs> But that's an interesting case which we're going to come up to uh, next time. Any questions about that? Again, I'm not saying that those are obviously, if you can do that, then it's good to gamble, provide, you're okay to provide gamble. I'm simply saying, at the very least, even people who are on the spectrum of gambling is an okay thing to do. If you're going to do it in line with Christian principles, in even a vague sense, you would have to at least be willing to follow those principles. And if you're not, let's just be honest, you're willing to oppress the poor to enrich yourself. And that's a problem. Uh, so just to sum up where we've been so far, um, given the sorts of behaviors and attitudes that are almost always accompanying many forms of gambling, at the very least, it's something we want to caution people against. Make them aware of the pitfalls of it the temptations that very often accompany, and be ready to help them see that maybe by participating they have fallen into such sins. But we also don't want to go all the way like we said. Well, actually, no, let, before we do that. But does that, what can, can we therefore say because there's all these temptations to sin involved in gambling, is gambling therefore necessarily to be forbidden as sinful? What do you think? I'm asking people who go to the fair and bet on the races. <laughs> How does it work? <laughs> well, like you said, you, it can be just entertainment, enjoyment, if you know your limit and you know, don't go beyond that. Is that, sin, is that sinful then? I don't think really. Right. Okay, so, I mean, there's possibilities that when you're doing it, you're not doing it for all of these problematic reasons, and you might even be doing it in such a way that you don't fall into those temptations. Now, that's, that's a possibility we'll hold out. And then the next question will be, can we think of any particular instances on the one hand, and how could we square that with Scripture? Now, I'm going to go ahead and show my cards, so to speak, um, and say, I believe that's true that there are instances where you could engage in gambling in an innocuous, non-sinful, and even, even 
beneficial way, but you have to be cautious about those. Uh, but we'll, so we'll get to those in just a minute, but that's a good point to bear in mind. Did you compare it to, like Christ said, you know, it's a, a rich, you know, rich man entering the kingdom of heaven would be like a, a camel passing through the eye of a needle. I mean, could you kind of compare that saying, well, maybe not impossible, but it's highly unlikely. Right. Well, and okay, fair enough. Um, it might be possible that gambling is not sinful, but very highly unlikely. Okay. Now, that's, that's a fair point, that it's, there's, because there's all these temptations, maybe it's so unlikely that at least as a matter of practical advice, say a pastor should always tell his congregants, because you're almost certainly going to sin when you do it, even though it's not sinful per se, you shouldn't do it ever. That's a possibility. Uh, just to clarify about what Jesus was talking about there, um, notice what the disciples replied to that. Well, then who could enter the kingdom of heaven? If even a rich ruler of a synagogue, by the way, this was, somebody who used his money precisely to help people learn the word of the Lord, would have trouble getting into heaven. Who could do it? And Jesus' answer is, what? Do you remember? More or less, um, with God... Or with man, such things are impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. That is to say, no one is going to heaven on their own strength. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So the point, we want to be careful there with that comparison, just because the scripturally speaking, the point was nobody can get to heaven. Because everybody is always sinful, frankly. Only God can bring you to heaven. Only Christ through his sacrifice. But that being said, it's true. Um, the analogy is apt. If the temptations are almost always there, why not just write off the activity itself? Well, we're going to ask, too, a few questions here. Are the temptations always there in every case? So we'll, we'll get to that. But well, the, the big thing I would like to say, too, is to revisit the very thing we started with. Scripture itself does not condemn gambling. It doesn't encourage it by any means, but it doesn't condemn it. And so we have to be very careful as pastors, as Christians, as a congregation, of trying to say more than Scripture says. When you start to try to say more than Scripture says, what you end up doing is kind of building a little fence around what God says to say, yes, this is what God says you shouldn't do, but just to make sure you also keep that, don't do this thing out here. And then you're starting to sound a lot like the Pharisees with their man-made traditions about who the whole point was. The law says, don't do this. Therefore, we're going to go the extra step and say, also don't do this, because if you do this, you might be breaking that actual rule. For instance, Scripture says, uh, don't uh, work on the Sabbath. So we're also going to say that you shouldn't take, you can only take so many steps on the Sabbath. Because we don't want to accidentally qualify that as work. So you'll have to keep that tradition too. And if you break that tradition, we're going to treat you like you're a sinner. We're going to cast you out of the synagogue. We're going to act like you're a person who doesn't believe in God. Because, heck, you broke our fence. Therefore, you must have gone all the way to break God's word. That very easily happens. This legalism that says we can always build the fence further out. And make people feel guilty of things God has not actually forbidden them from doing. And it might be safe in our heads, but what it actually does is uh, 
bind consciences and make them lose hope in God. Bad thing to do. So never say more than scripture says. Never say less, certainly, but never say more. So what I'm saying here is we don't want to simply condemn gambling per se, simply on the fact that scripture itself doesn't forbid gambling per se. We can forbid all of the temptations, all of the attitudes that scripture condemns that are very often attached to gambling. We can very much warn against them, and we should. But we shouldn't take the further step to saying, I saw Kathy at the gas station video game the other day. Clearly, she sinned, Pastor. (laughs) Maybe she did. Well, I doubt I'd ever see that happen. But, (laughs) point being, even if I did, I don't have scriptural room to simply assume she broke God's law. Maybe she found a quarter on the floor and said, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> okay. And walked off and there's absolutely no thoughts in her head. <laughs> and then she's a millionaire. And then she gives it all to the church and it's okay. <laughs> we gave the pastor a raise. <laughs> okay, now, I, now I'm seeing where this is going. I think we should do this more often. No. That was pretty profitable, wasn't it? I'd say. But that being said... That uh, general statement, we don't want to say more or less than Scripture says. There's also the question that uh, Sarah raised here about sometimes we can do it for different reasons than those obviously bad instances. Are they sufficiently different that we could say they're not necessarily bad? Well, I'll just throw out a couple of cases. Let's assume that uh, you are with your friends. There's more ladies here than guys. Otherwise, I'd say you get together with your buddies to smoke cigars and drink a few beers and play a friendly round of poker. Or however the ladies might do the same. They get together, they decide, hey, let's just play some blackjack or poker here. <laughs> Gather around the table and say, oh, we'll make it interesting. We'll bet a penny, a, we'll bet a penny on each hand. Just so that we have bragging rights at the end. To what extent... Would you say that there is likely a huge amount of greed involved in that instance? Do you think that anyone there is probably going to be prone to idolatrously thinking that this 20 cents or so they might win at the end of the night is going to provide for them in a way that God could not? (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. Certainly seems unlikely. Now you might argue, but it's a gateway, I suppose. You could argue that, but doesn't necessarily mean anything at that particular game is going wrong. Now, we could also argue about, well, maybe they're going to start getting proud and looking down on all the others as poor. Okay, sure, we can sin in anything we do. But looking at the unique temptations we've talked about with gambling, are many of those very likely to be present in that situation? Is it gambling? Yes, it's clearly gambling. But we would have a very hard time saying there's a whole lot of greed, idolatry, lack of love, poor management of your resources. And uh, unless you're spending hours and hours and hours every single day doing this, probably not tearing you away from productive labor either. So you can already imagine there, there's a situation where you're gambling, but you're almost certainly not doing it in a way where you're going to be prone to any of those really problematic attitudes, beliefs, or behaviors. In fact, what is the purpose of doing that then? Since you're not going to get rich. Since you're not going to, you might get a, I don't know, a stick of gum out of the deal at the end with that kind of money. Why would you even bother doing it? 
Entertainment. Entertainment. And that you're not just doing it on your phone, for instance, with a no-stakes poker game app. You're doing it with your friends. Why, what, what's the benefit of doing it that way? Presumably because you want to be with your friends, and it's an enjoyable way to spend time with them. You know, most friendships, as it turns out, aren't formed by uh, the pastor going to them in times of crisis and supporting them only in those big, deep moments of life. People appreciate it, but you don't make many friends, per se, that way. How you make friends is you just spend time with each other, right? Yes, the poker game. That's what I'm saying. Thank you for picking up on that. No, no. Um, not that I mind doing it once in a while. It's just to say, that was not my point. <laughs> it made a difference in inviting half a dozen ladies over just for coffee. Well, exactly. Why do you do that? Because you want to live out your friendship. And you cultivate your friendship. And by the way, do you suppose that Scripture thinks that cultivating friends, spending time with friends, is that a good or a bad or a neutral thing in Scripture? And if there's any question, why don't we turn to uh, Ecclesiastes 4, <coughs> 9 through 10. And somebody go to Proverbs 27, 9. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Somebody have that for us. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. What does that seem to say about friendship? Good to have? Bad to have? Pointless to have? It's quite good. It's quite good. This hardly needs to be said, but I just want to point, we, we, bear, we don't really need to go to these verses to look at these things, because we all know it, but it's, point, it's good to actually go to the verses and say, Scripture does talk this way, people. It talks as though friends, having friends, cultivating friends is a very good thing. And so there's, you can even, um, we won't, somebody want to read Proverbs 27, 9 before we say that, before I finish up. Okay, so there again, uh, talking positively about how friends enrich life with their good counsel and so forth, which implies you have to have friends to get any of that, which implies you actually have to cultivate friends to have those blessings. But point being, friendship is a blessing. So even what I'm trying to get at here is, Go back to this little instance of gambling, which is very much in purpose, like having ladies over for coffee. What you are doing there is actually trying, presumably, to cultivate something that Scripture actually calls good. Friendships. That's the point of the game. Not the money. In fact, that's the point of the bragging rights in most groups of friends that I've ever been in in those situations. You don't brag to say, I'm better than you, you worthless worm, but because it's a good way to continue to build up the friendships. Friendly competition. Now, of course, I'll just read you really quick Proverbs 22, 24. There is the warning about what kinds of friends you make. Um, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Um, point being there, very simply, Granted, you can make friendships with the wrong kinds of people. Friendship isn't always a good thing to cultivate. You want to be friends with good people who will enrich you and not bad people who will lead you astray. And no doubt, you could be gambling at the table with somebody who's a little later going to suggest, hey, that was so much fun, why don't we go to the casino? 
oh, come on, you can bid more than that, or whatever kind, I mean, that's an obviously crass way. But you can cultivate friends around those situations where that person might encourage you to do things in the context of gambling that encourage you to greed, covetousness, and so forth. Now, that's not the fault of the affair itself. That's the fault of the person who's there at the affair trying to do those things. Make sense? The point I'm trying to get across here with this is that clearly there is a circumstance where it's not only not clearly sinful to be gambling in those cases, but it might actually yield positive goods. Here's another one we could think about. Let's assume, since it got mentioned, we'll just there's that the community has a raffle, small-scale kind of raffle that's meant to help some kind of project here in the community. Heck, let's just take one that recently happened. Uh, there's that one in Diederich, I'm sure you heard about, where they were raffling off this house, right? And do you remember what the purpose of the raffle was? They're trying to build a new community center, right? They want to raise funds for this community center. What's your thoughts about that kind of raffle, by the way? I think you had to pay something like $100 for a ticket or something like that to get into the raffle. Well, it's best if you think of it as a donation because you're probably not going to win. <laughs> okay, on the one hand... Let's just take that jump off. How many people do you... Th now, we're speculating, I'll admit. How many people bought that ticket pretty sure they had a really good chance of winning that house? Very few, I'm sure. Probably not a lot of people got it expecting that they would get the house or even having a firm hope that they would have the house and even expecting that this is going to make or break their future somehow. Now, it's certainly possible some people got into it that way. It is no doubt possible there were some people who, you know, wanting a nice house, even spent a hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks, they probably couldn't have afforded to, get, to try to get their name into the pit. Now, let's just say right off the bat, that was a poor decision on their part, right? And no doubt there was some greed, there was some sin going on, and it's worthwhile to expose the fact that, yes, in this case... The temptations could exist, and were probably acted upon by some people, right? Does that mean the raffle was evil? We shouldn't have done it. Or Diederich shouldn't have done it, I should say. Why or why not? I don't think it was evil on their part, because they were intended for good, but the evil part would be on the one that was done. Right. On the one hand, the whole point of doing the uh, raffle itself, let's take this from the... Oh, okay. It's like, it sounded like it was coming from back here. Um, now I lost my train of thought. Okay, let's take it from that perspective of the, person the parties providing the gambling opportunity. Is it likely that they're doing those things that uh, scriptures clearly are trying to discourage people from um, about oppressing the poor, enriching yourself at the expense of the other, or even to say enriching the community heedless of whether we're harming the individuals who participate in the raffle. Probably was not a huge factor here. I mean, maybe there were some people who just didn't care who donated and were happy if really poor people donated. Chances are high that that wasn't really on the mind. That wasn't really a huge temptation. Chances are they just wanted to help the community. We need to build this We should build this community center. It would be helpful. Let's do it. Just like most church raffles that you've ever heard of. How many of them are churches trying to get rich? Well, maybe a few. <laughs> but um, by and large, it's usually to help something. 
to get something that's materially beneficial either to the congregation or a family that's struggling in the congregation. So the motives of the providers don't have to be, and you could even say probably not even that given to the temptation, right? It's possible. We're not saying don't pretend that sin couldn't be there. We're simply saying it doesn't look or smell like this was clearly one of those instances of, hey, I'm making money, community's getting its center, who cares how we get it done? Looking at it from the side of the people who bought it, um, does it seem to be the case that, you, would you imagine that most of the people who did it, who bought tickets were motivated chiefly or even all that much by something like greed? Again, admitting yes, at least some of them probably were. Is it first feasible to think that there were a substantial number who were not? Sure. Um, what about idolatry? Thinking that uh, my fear, my love, my trust is more in getting a nice secure house <laughs> than in God. Again, maybe there were people like that. There are certainly people who put their trust and their hope in things in this life more than that, but they don't need gambling to do that. Was the gambling itself encouraging that kind of view? Probably not in an obvious way. Uh, one of the big ones, what about stewardship? Why did a lot of people buy tickets? That gets down to the thing. Was it to try to enrich themselves, throwing away money that they couldn't have on this off chance that they would get a house that they could sell for lots of money? Again, Possibly there were some, maybe even certainly there were some. But at the end of the day, why did most people do it? So I don't remember who said it, but somebody said, it's best to think about it as what? A donation, because you know you're not getting that house almost certainly. So why were people donating this way? Why were people, I should say, buying the raffle tickets? At least a lot of the people. They wanted to donate to the community center. Now, of course, you could all, so in a certain sense, they were actually trying to be good stewards of the community by providing their money to help build this project. And if there's a fringe chance of also getting something out of it, hey, win-win, right? That's what's probably going on in their heads, even though almost, at least I'm sure, several of them were thinking that's a very fringe possibility. Now, you could argue there were better ways to make money. You could just ask for donations rather than raffling. Um, maybe that's true. That's my question, though. How many people would have donated to it had they not done it by through Right. Um, and even though it's not that a lot of people think they're getting a... This is one of the logics of the raffle. Um, you're asking people to give you the money um, with the fringe possibility that they'll get something in return. A lot of people who end up donating don't expect to get that. In fact, they're fairly well confident they won't. But just the even dim possibility motivates the better stewardship than uh, that would have been there if they hadn't had that little dim possibility. So, of course, there is some greed motivating the people to participate in the raffle in a way that uh, doesn't motivate things. There's a certain sense where there's a, a rationalization here, understanding we deal with the world that we have, not the world we would like. It would be nice if we could just fund it by going to people and saying, hey, would you donate to this? We recognize we're dealing with sinners who aren't necessarily willing to do it or look at it quite that way until and unless they see there's even a dim, even almost a astronomically low chance of them also getting something out of it, even if they don't expect to get it. 
So that's part of the rationality, which goes back to the question, couldn't you raise funds a better way that doesn't intrinsically assume some level of greed? I mean, there probably are better, less tempting ways to do it. Does that mean that this was necessarily a shady way to do it, scripturally speaking? I don't think so. And that's really the point here. There, we can think of several instances of gambling. Is a raffle a gamble, by the way? It is definitely a form of gambling. My basic point in all of this and all of these definitions, and we'll finish up with this, is just to say, I think we've, probably, we've come to the point where you'll agree there are inst we can't just roundly condemn gambling uh, for several reasons, even though we want to caution against the temptations and call out the sins that are involved where and when those arise. Because we can envision instances where gambling is innocent, largely. Um, we can also envision instances where um, it would be hard to simply condemn it as always being wrong, always involving those temptations, always leading everybody who participates into those situations. Make sense? So point of this two-session class, gambling can very easily become a very serious problem. Scripture has a lot to say that should lead us to extreme caution about gambling because it is definitely a tool that the devil can use to lead us into great and terrible sins against God and against each other. But for all that, it's not strictly speaking evil and can, in certain instances, even contribute some goods to the world. Make sense? Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I just thought of another gambling instance where it does immense amount of good. Um, my kids, they fight over everything that there's only one of all the time. You know an amazing way to settle that? Gamble. <laughs> Pick a number between one and ten. <laughs> and nobody argues with the result as much as if you just give it to somebody. So how much do you charge him for a guess? I don't charge him. <laughs> but point being, <laughs> pick the odds and win. It's amazing how much resentment it resolves in those instances. <laughs>